Hey, you're listening to the Rolling Toward Recovery podcast, a Shell on Wheels production. Well, good evening, morning or afternoon, friends and recovery warriors out there. Welcome back to the Rolling Toward Recovery podcast. I am your host, Michelle, and it is Sunday, March 20th, 2022, as this episode hits the airwaves. Tonight, you're going to be hearing an interview between myself and a gentleman named Joseph Reed. Now, Joseph is a Navy veteran who's been sober since July of 2010. And I ran across his story in a Facebook group that was geared around non-alcoholic mixology, um, alcohol-free spirits, and things of that nature. When I started my journey a year ago, I thought, as a bartender, I was going to be okay with going ahead and, um, you know, continuing into that career. And I also wanted to make an impact on the non-alcoholic spirit world because I like mixology. I like to create cocktails. It's one of the things that I do best. Right now, I'm just not into it, though. I'm not feeling it. So despite that, I still wanted to move forward with this interview because he has a really interesting story. And, um, I wanted to bring more guests here so that we could have more voices than mine. And from the beginning, I knew that this platform was going to be for other people's stories to be told. So I'm thrilled to be back with you. I had to take that short break, like I said in the last episode back in January, that, you know, I really wanted to have a year alcohol-free and come back here and do this legit because honestly like if you're not really doing the work we have no business out here telling stories and and trying to assist in other people's recovery right we have to really be doing the work and today I'm celebrating a year sober um and while I'm super proud of that I'm also humbled because I know that this was by the grace of God and and it was due to my dedication to a spiritual practice I couldn't be here today without that, so I thank God, and I thank yoga, and I thank all of you for your support. We'll be back in a few minutes, and I'm going to bring on Joseph Reed. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Is my sound okay on your end? Yes, ma'am. All right. Don't. No, ma'am. Please. (laughs) (laughs) You can call me Michelle. Um, (laughs) Would you prefer Joe or Joseph? It doesn't matter. I get right. called, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get called a hell of a lot worse than that by the end of the day. So, oh, oh, not by me. Not by me. <laughs> <laughs> I am married. So, I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's got you covered on that end. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to call you Joe just because it's easier. Awesome. Um, and I... uh. I want to welcome you to Rolling Toward Recovery, and I want to thank you because, um, you know, your willingness to share a recovery story with a newbie in recovery as well as in podcasting is uh, admirable. A lot of people don't want to do that unless they're selling something, so I really (laughs) appreciate your time. No, that's fine. Everybody has something to sell, you know. You know, I respect that, and I get that everyone's... um, wanting to do their own thing and and that's cool with me but I think the thing that gets me is the the multi-level marketing and like the I don't I don't know we're trying to do recovery so I just I just want to do recovery you know 
Yeah, and I'm not really looking that. to get anything from it except to continue recovering myself. Um, so we're going to have an issue with this because I have an old dog in the house. And for whatever reason, they're freaking out today. Okay. So I'll do my best to get them settled down and then I'll edit them out of anything that I have to. Um, the reason why I found interest in your story was, first of all, you have a lengthy recovery, right? If I, I Googled you a little bit, but I'm not into stalking people. So I wanted you to be able to tell your own story, but I did Google you a little bit. What I found was an article from January, 2016 in the Des Moines register yeah. So I understand that you are a Navy veteran mm-hmm. and you worked in avionics. Yeah, I was an avionics technician for helicopter squadron. All right. All right. I thought that was pretty cool. And then you also, um, I read that you have an electrical engineering background. I Is do. that right? Yeah. Okay. And then I think from what I read that your rock bottom um may have had something to do with a girlfriend in a car an incident with a car yeah (laughs) no yeah um we were both pretty intoxicated that night and uh um she ended up running me over with her car dragging me down the street right Uh, yeah it uh it was (laughs) when i woke up the next day i was in a pool of blood in my in my bed and I didn't know, you know, you wake up and you don't know where you're at. Um, and you're just, everything's wet and you're in a lot of pain, more pain than normal. And, uh, and I, things just started coming back to me piece by piece, um, you know, like normal blackout nights, but I looked down and I could see the bones sticking out of my toe. And I could see the bone sticking out of my knee and I could see a big chunk of meat like missing from the shit of my leg. Um, and so I kind of hobbled out my room and through the front door and there's like some blood uh, kind of trailing through the inside the house and through the kitchen and into my room. Um, and then it all just starts coming back to me. Um, been there. Uh, I've had those. Had those, those uh, moments of shame. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of shame there. Um, it, it was just a, I had a lot going on at that point in my life too. Uh, sure. You know, so the, would, would that would, would that be your rock bottom? Would that have been the incident that? Set you free from alcohol? Did you did you start to find sobriety right then? Yeah, I did. Um, I um, I went in my bathroom and just kind of had a conversation with myself in the mirror. Um, <laughs> not very motivating, but I um, had some a few choice words for myself, and I reminded myself. Um, <clears throat> I was a high school dropout and there was one, only one teacher that really was adamant about me not dropping out of high school. And he, um, his words of advice was not to become the people you can't stand. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that in the article that I read about you. Yeah. And And there uh, you were. And there I was. 
you know, and, uh, you know, I was, there's only one person in the world that I knew I could call, and he's a buddy of mine who found sobriety about a year and a half before I did. Um, he quit contacting, quit contact with me and all that, of course, right, because um, you don't want to continue with uh, any friends that are still using when you're getting sober. But I called him on the phone and I was out there on my front porch and I was just like, I was still kind of bleeding. And um, I don't know why I was just such a wreck, you know, there's snot coming down my nose and I'm crying and I just like, oh, boo-hoo me. I don't know what I'm going to do. He was just really cool, calm and collected. And um, I can almost feel your pain, like on the other end of this. <laughs> really, like I can, oh, I, I get it. Yeah, and he was like, "Don't worry about it." He's got like this really deep voice with a southern draw, uh-huh. and it, it, it was just really calm. And he's like, "Welcome to the family. I've been waiting for this phone call for a long time." Oh, don't worry. I got you. Um, give me 20 minutes and I'll call you right back. So he contacted the facility that he went to um, for his recovery and had everything set up. Um, there was a driver that showed up at my house and they picked me up and they put me in a plane. I, uh, I had on so many different layers of clothes because I didn't want any of the blood coming through my clothes and them thinking something was wrong and they're going to kick me out of the plane. Uh, That's desperation there at its finest, right? It is, you know, and I had my Navy sea bag with me and it's Mm -hmm. just packed full of a couple weeks or a month's worth of clothes and all kinds of anything that I could throw in there. And, uh, so I, I fly from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale, which is like a 30-minute flight with that, you know. <laughs> but all along the way, there's people there to make sure I don't run, to make sure that I get into to rehab. So uh, there was a person there waiting for me and, um, and, and picked me up in a van and drove me to rehab. And it just, for the first time in my life, I can't explain it, but I just felt like, you know, like there was just so much that got unloaded when I walked through those doors. I've been to jail, you know, I've been to state sanctioned sobriety, whatever, like everything is just jail and they beat you down. And and that's what I was expecting. But when I got there, it was just, I don't know, people actually cared about you. For no reason, right? They just met me. Yeah. And uh, so I'm sitting there waiting to get, uh, fill out all my paperwork and stuff to get in. And uh, there's a portion where you have to go to the bathroom, right? Take off all your clothes and make sure that they're not, you're not bringing in any drugs to a rehab facility. Yeah, yeah. And I'm taking a lot of time longer than usual just to shut your clothes off you know and it's because you're in pain 
Well, I'm in a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I go to take my shirt off and if you've ever had a yeah, cut or something somewhere and like your shirt gets stuck on it and you go to yeah. take it off, it peels your skin off. Yeah. Well, this goes up like halfway my back. And then again, with my legs and stuff too, it's just peeling all this skin off my legs. And there's no man, for whatever reason, there wasn't a man on staff. Um, and so it was a woman that had to kind of come in and check on me to make sure I'm not doing anything. And she sees it there and there's just like a pool of blood on the, on the floor and she sees me <laughs> and she is just in such shock. She has no idea what to do. Um, so they, they call an ambulance um, and the ambulance takes me to like an urgent care facility and I have to get approval through that medical doctor to go through the rehab program because I was having illness. And eventually I did, right? Um, but they completely nursed me back to health, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all that. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that was the beginning of my rehab. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so how long would you say your tenure with alcohol? How long did you drink? Did you start I, as a young kid? Oh yeah. I had like an 18 year professional drinking career. Yeah. Um, I started when I was 14, um, pretty heavily. And then I ended when I was 32. So. Wow. Wow. All right. So I just want to, I, I want to open the floor and just let you have a chance to, because I want to, how I found you and, and I just want to tell the audience how I acquainted with Joseph. I found Joseph um, in his story in a uh, Facebook group that was geared around a non-alcoholic spirit. And like I said, I, I, I was a mixologist in my former life and a bartender by trade, and I loved it. And uh, I thought when I began getting sober last year that I was still going to be able to be a bartender and I was still going to be able to shake cocktails. <laughs> I I was going to start the non-alcoholic movement, and I was going to be big shit out there. And so that's how I ran across you. And while all that has passed me by, and I've discovered that I'm not going to be a bartender or <laughs> And that the non-alcoholic spirit movement is long started without me. <laughs> but um, when I ran into your story, not only was that going on, but I was really looking into, um, it was, I was very early in sobriety. So I was looking into like narcissism and vulnerability and people being taken advantage of when they're in early sobriety. And I was just looking at anything I could. And so your story just grabbed me. Awesome. And so while your recovery story is is cool and I'm into that and I want to know what tools you've used through the years to remain sober and what programs you you know do you 12 step do you go to AA meetings how do you maintain your sobriety for how long, for as long as you have what would you tell a newbie like me to um to maintain 
I don't know. I think the biggest thing is don't get caught up in what about isms and don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing. This is your life. This is your journey. You know what's best for you. Uh, take what you can, take what works, and leave what doesn't. You're going to get everybody telling you, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, blah, blah, blah. I love AA. AA are my people. Um, I don't go anywhere remotely close to as much as I used to, and I definitely don't go as much as I should. Um, but for whatever reason, by the grace of God, I still haven't picked up any alcohol in 12 years. Almost 12 years. It'll be 12 this May. AA kind of uh, freaks me out. And I, um, I, didn't, I didn't get you on Facebook, but I did look at your profile just to see who I was dealing with. And I um, noticed that at the very top of your Facebook, the first thing I saw was something about on cannabis. Yep. How, do you, how do you feel about marijuana maintenance and cannabis use in, with, for people in recovery? Listen, there's going to be a million people that hate me on this, and I really don't care. Um, Cannabis absolutely helped me transition from an everyday user of alcohol and cocaine and just being that garbage disposal of anything that was put in front of me to being able to transition into something that like it got me clean of all those things. And then um, pretty soon on to nothing, really. And that's my whole stick with the THC stuff that we're doing. Um, my wife has seven years sobriety from heroin and she had a much more difficult time getting off of the methadone than she did heroin, um, which is sickening. And if anybody has watched the TV show Dope Sick on Hulu. I just or, finished that series and I am just, my heart is wrenched over it. Right. See, this is all stuff that we have known forever, but finally it's coming to light. There's another show on Netflix called The Pharmacist, and we actually lived right next to this guy. <gasps> really? Um, yeah, he's awesome. Okay, Wonderful so guy. that's stuff I want to I want to look into. So, all right, so I, you're so you there's so much I could talk to you about. Like we could go on and on and on. So. <laughs> I looked, um, I don't even know your wife's name yet. What's your wife's first name? Uh, her name is Elizabeth, but everybody calls her Alyssa. Okay, Alyssa. And she runs Awakened, Awakened, Awakened Addict? Yes, ma'am. Awakened Addict. Right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, all right. So I didn't know about her recovery story so much, but I'm also a heroin addict and a crack addict yeah. and a meth head and... You know, I love it all, but I, I'm not, I don't hate you, Joseph. I'm relieved to hear someone who supports AA movement say that, you know, maybe cannabis could help us because without cannabis, I would still be on the bathroom floor speedballing $300 a day. <laughs> There's no way I could be where I'm at today and live in any kind of a functioning life. And there's too much. I've realized that we have to feel, I get that we have to feel all the traumas and we have to feel all the things we have to let them come through us and transmute them. But I can't do it all at once without a little pot to ease it. I, I, there's too much for some of us who are using things like heroin. We probably have some trauma that we're really, really trying to get away from, you know, 
And so to stop alcohol and stop everything and just open the floodgates for all of that to come up, for me, it was too much. I'm a huge proponent of cannabis, and I'm also a huge proponent of um, ayahuasca. Okay. Um, You know, here in Florida, they have some ayahuasca churches and stuff. I've never gone through that, but I've seen some before and after effects. Listen, are you better today than you were yesterday? Absolutely. Right? Then... I just, I, you know, last year I, I, I wrote a little book and I published it and that was the whole precipice. Like, go fix yourself. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Get your own shit together. Don't try to spoon feed it. It's going to be tough, you know, and, and people hate me for what I said. They, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I don't believe in the sugar coating anymore. It never worked for me. People enabling me and babying me and coddling me. It didn't work. I had to kick my own ass and I had to meet a couple people along the way who were willing to kick my ass. And yeah. that's the only thing that really helped now. I want to um, give you the opportunity to take a break and get your head together because I want, for the second half of the show, I want to talk about RK. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that that's what you want to talk about. I, I want to talk about sobriety in general. It doesn't matter, really. The RK thing is something that happens um, in industry. You know, it, it, hopefully it'll tie a lot of things that we touched on together. Um, uh, I, I, the guy's obviously running a scam. Uh, and it, it just seems like the more he tries to cover up, the more he continues to dig himself into a hole. And I got to be honest, the more I started speaking out about it on Facebook and LinkedIn and other places, there have been numerous people who have sent me so many stories of their own on him just kind of conning them out, <clears throat> conning them out of money or, you know, buying orders for their bar and him not fulfilling it. Um, yeah, there are all these dry bars are popping up and I'm thinking to myself and I keep seeing these ads for this RK and I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay, what's really going on here now? I am like, okay, I can't stand it. I, I want to be really careful here because you don't know what people do. Multi-level marketing for me is just a trigger. It's something I really don't like. Like I, the, the business model of it, oftentimes I find it to be really shady and really, you know, copy paste and cookie cutter. So I really try to stay away from it. And I also try not to say too much about it because I understand people do it. And some people are very successful at it and maybe they're not foul in their ways i used to have a really bad attitude toward mlms and i gotta be honest with you i think anybody can honestly make money doing it if they're passionate about what it is they're doing yeah i think you know you can there's a, a couple few years ago there was a bunch of cbd mlms that popped up and there's like there's mlms on selling knives and there's mlms on selling travel right there's mlms on selling just about everything well my yoga school has become an mlm now like i just my yoga school is like become an affiliate and i'm like are you kidding me well i mean you're always looking 
I've been an entrepreneur for so long. I, I, I'm an engineer at heart, but my, my brain is wired to not work for people. I can take that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we're all entrepreneurs. So we're always looking for another revenue stream and how we can better sell our product and how we can better sell our service or whatever. So signing up an affiliate is somebody takes interest in their product and can go evangelize and sell it to their network friends. And how is that any different than setting up a wholesale account with a store, you know, with a wholesaler or a distributor or anything like that? Yes, they are buying uh, the product. And if they don't sell it, then they don't make any margin. But that's no different. If I if I have product going into 7-Eleven, there are three steps of people buying that product before it gets onto the shelf of 7-Eleven. If none of those groups sell it, they're sitting on the same product. So if you're selling stuff for Pampered Chef and you're buying it at the wholesale cost and you're not selling anything, well, you know, you're going to be sitting on that product. And that's the exact same way it is with Kihi or any other very large food distributor. So I had somebody explain some of that to me and I felt a little bit better about the MLM. Now, the tactics that I've seen on how people <laughs> trade, right, and are very predatory upon specific target people that I have a problem with. The concept of it, I get it. I understand how it fits into the system, and it's all about growing your sales um, and, and sales team, really, without having to grow a sales team. I understand that stuff, but... Sure. I'm all for that. I'm all for, and people hate me for saying this, but I'm all for capitalism. <laughs> Let's... I don't know why they don't. The people that don't understand that are the ones that haven't had to escape socialism and communism. Fact. <laughs> You're right. right. I don't. And what, what kills me about that is my family did. Okay. They, when we escaped Nazi Germany, there are so many people here that weren't Jews that had to escape Nazi Germany because they were not, you know, they weren't all privy with the, the agenda that was getting going over there. Right on. You, you know, so they were already in socialism and, they, and we're talking about the 1940s and the 1950s. So the people today that are all talking about, you know, let's go socialism are not the ones from 1940 that came here from that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know they they have no idea. They they don't. <laughs> and that's a whole other episode. <laughs> but, Michelle, you and I have about a hundred episodes we could do together this I year. I feel like that's true. I feel like that. Like, are we co-hosting right now? Do we have something happening? Like, um, I I want to talk to your wife though. I really really want to talk to her. I'll, anyone who's overcome heroin at addiction is like my people because that is man. And I also like, I'm interested to know how your relationship works because I know that for my fiance and I like, he deals with a lot. Yeah. He deals with a lot. I have a lot of childhood trauma. I have a lot of baby shit that I have to overcome and I'm very yeah. immature I'm incredibly immature because I have, um, I've numbed myself for so long since I was probably eight years old. I've been using and I've been numbing for so long that I'm a big baby. I'm, I'm an eight year old walking around, you know, and 
I'm trying to navigate through all these feelings and all these emotions. And sometimes I erupt and, and I don't know how, you know, I, I, I have therapists and I do yoga every day and I am doing my best, but sometimes, you know, and I think that, uh, I don't know that it's as, it's easy for him to understand. And I feel for the men in our lives or the people in our lives who, who have to run through this with us. Well, uh, it sounds like you guys are not, you know, in any shortage <laughs> of, uh, of, of, let's, let's say some turbulent times in your relationship. Right. And I think we are too. I can't, it was so refreshing for me to hear you just have so much self-actualization and self-realization right there. That was amazing. Um, and so whatever it took for you to, to get to that point, um, is, <laughs> I don't know, I'm almost speechless by it. Uh, it's great. Thank you. Thank you. I think, um, well, authenticity was used to be a really difficult thing for me. I worked really hard to cover up my whole life and to be a secret, to keep everything a secret. And so to have some freedom to say, man, I am so fucked. <laughs> but to put it out of my mouth, I mean, this is where we fix it. Yeah. Um, and until we do that, we can't. We're, we're, we're living in a, a fantasy world. And uh, that is part, it's been part of the hard, hardest part of it for me because I, I think that somewhere uh, from my mom and her boyfriend beating me, I think I have like a traumatic brain injury. And so uh, I, I grew up a little weird, you know, I'm just, I'm a little bit weird. I'm a little off. Everybody can't relate to me. And I think because of that failure to fit in is why I numbed and I used drugs and I, I did the things that I did. And then there were so many, several things that happened through my teenage years and this and that, but, uh, but you just have to kind of reach an age and a point in your life where like you really kind of embrace the not fitting in, right? Like I look around at all these noises and like, you know, I swear I don't want to be any one of them. Yeah, you start to enjoy your solitude and you start to enjoy being who you are. And that's when you're like, it clicks. You're like, okay, this is true recovery. Yeah. This is, like, I, this I is what yogis are after. They're after bliss. They're after this liberation, this moksha. This is what they're after. I can have such a good time in situations that normal people would never understand. Give an example. Just Go ahead like, and think about it for a second, because I'm going to go yell at my dogs to <laughs> think about it for a second. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Get in the house. Come on. Come on. I'm going to have frosty claws. Good boy. Relax. Okay. Well, I just think that there's stressful situations that most people would buckle. And if I didn't have the life that I had, um, yeah, uh, I probably wouldn't be as calm as I am in a lot of situations. Now, I'm not saying I don't get stressed out because I do. 
But when I tried to have my last corporate job was at John Deere. I was a senior engineer at John Deere a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Um, and I, I had to take the job because my um, the company I was, I was with um, was failing. So uh-huh. I got into a big bureaucratic machine. And a lot of those people there were just so stressed out about just normal everyday stuff that everybody would come to me and I got really annoyed with the amount of people that came to me. (laughs) I get that. You know, because they saw me as like somebody who was just cool, calm and collected under stressful situations. And it could be a piece of equipment failing or whatever out in the field and this and that. You know, my answer to a lot of these people was like, you had a really easy life, didn't you? (laughs) If you think this is true, what was your childhood like? (laughs) 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 So, uh, I don't know. It's kind of how I saw it. Yeah. I understand that. It's frustrating, right? It is. uh, Sometimes. It can be, and again, a lot of that is me just, I don't know, not having a lot of, uh, just not seeing the whole other side of the coin, I guess, sometimes. Being an so addict, do you, you know? do you think that people are coddled, or do you think that you're impatient? Yes. Both. <laughs> I love your answer. <laughs> It's perfect. Ah, that's perfect. You know, when I was when I was first getting sober, um, I learned how much how much of an issue I had with incompetence and with the definition I had of incompetent. Right. So maybe having a little bit more patience. I, I prayed for patience once um, and I'll never do it again. Uh, I definitely got it, but I didn't like the steps I had to go through to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the universe sends you those um, gifts in very strange ways. Doesn't she? Yes. Yeah. I get it. I got it. I prayed for patience and I got this dog. i can't get rid of the dog because i love the dog but he keeps teaching me patience every day i haven't strangled him yet so apparently i'm learning patience so i so let's just move through it then tell me how you found rk what were you looking for when you found rk do you have a do you like i want to talk about rk i'm i'm yeah, okay, no problem. Um, I don't want to come off here saying that I'm like, or make it feel or be like I'm trying to sell anything here, okay? But it, it all revolves around my business. Well, then here's what I'm going to tell you, too, Joseph. If it's your business and it's legit and you're not going to like spam, or all, I don't have that many listeners anyway. So, <laughs> but if you have a chance to. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, I'm not going to intentionally plug any of this. Right? You can plug not... whatever you want if you've got a product that's good, that's going to you know assist people in their recovery, if it's going to help you and your family to prosper. Because I can feel hey. that you're a good person. I can feel Listen, that. Like the whole reason we we started doing this THC business and stuff is because we're both in sobriety and we know what it's like on the other side. And I just know that, you know, if I'm, when I started using cannabis and, and THC and stuff in plate to replace binge drinking, you know, Monday through Sunday, um, you know, I'm also the kind of guy that would have vodka in his coffee at his 7am board meetings with, I don't want to say the company, but it's a very large conglomerate company. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. I, I was you. the youngest. I was the youngest person in this business unit's executive meetings in the history of this business unit. I was 29 years old. I was the head of the most profile project they had going on. It was like a 150 million dollar project. Um, I was lead engineer. You know, there were people in their there was one particular gentleman in his 50s who had a problem taking um, direction from a 29-year-old. So that's where I was at that particular point. And I was I had vodka in my coffee cup at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I always had like an 8-ball of Coke in my desk. And that's how I ran my life all day, every day. Man, we feel like we're okay, too, don't we? Right. And then, so, of course, we're garbage disposals, and we'll take everything else that comes along. But, you know, transitioning off of that stuff, of course, I went to rehab and all that. And I was in rehab for almost a year. It was nine months. It was very structured. It was, uh, you know, inpatient for however long. And then I went to outpatient, and then I lived in immense... Um, halfway house and a three-quarter house and I was constantly going to meetings um, like I was hitting AA meetings two three times a day I was doing everything right um, uh, and, and we used I particularly used cannabis and, and THC to, to kind of bring myself off of whatever um, Delta 8 is a very big topic in today's society, culture, whatever. And so my wife and I, um, we went to be hemp farmers last year and it didn't work out. We lost a lot of time, we, you know, money that we put down and plus with COVID, our supply chain was non-existent for things that we needed and it just didn't turn out very well. <clears throat> and at the beginning of last year, uh, I keep thinking this is still 21. It's not. Yeah. So about a year ago, it was actually the end of February last year, when I got a phone call from a gentleman, he's like, hey, um, you know, I, we have an opportunity with four distributor companies who represent 30,000 convenience stores. And they tested the market and they're all on board with CPD and Delta 8 and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I'm calling you specifically because I know you. Uh, he goes, I know that you're more creative in coming up with solutions to problems. And I have over 100 vendors that have showed up and every single one of them has sent me a tink, a, a tincture, a vape and a gummy. 
And if I see one more, I'm going to flip my shed. So I come to you because I want different products. I was like, oh, no problem. Because <coughs> part of my engineering company that I, that I used to own, um, I did software and hardware work for automated manufacturing. And uh, some of those were food manufacturers on top of like automotive and aerospace and all kinds of other stuff. Sure. Um, so I reached out to those food manufacturers. I was like, hey, look, uh, you know, you have a great opportunity to <laughs> take over so much more market share if you do. I want to do your products, but I want to put THC in them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, like, a, a, a very large portion of them said no, you know, like 95%. Right. But, the, but then there were some that said, yeah, that, that's a great idea. Let's do this. <clears throat> so I did. And in through the discussions, right, because this guy wanted chocolate, he wanted gum, he wanted candy, he wanted things that were a particular type other than what was out there. And that's who I reached out to. And I was in a group of people and we're all talking about me being an alcoholic and a couple of other people in the room being an alcoholic. And they're like, you know what, I actually really like just having a Jack and Coke and not getting drunk. And that's when we started talking about mocktails and the bars and the industry that's coming up. And we're like, wouldn't it be great just to, you know, get a little bit high um, rather than drunk? And how many people could we transition if we put, you know, like a, uh, a Kentucky bourbon out on the market that wasn't alcohol? And that was THC based. So um, that's what I did. I ran with it. I started it with that group and I was talking about that. And I did a search online for non-alcoholic bourbon, non-alcoholic vodka and this and that. And uh, the market or the So the uh, So wait, I have to stop you. I have to interject <clears throat> real quick. So you... We're working to create a non-alcoholic bourbon with THC in it. Yes. All right. My fiance, John, who's listening to, he listens to all my podcasts. John, this is Joseph. Joseph, John, you're going to be best friends at some point. So he got sober with me and he's not, I I don't think that Johnny's an alcoholic. I don't, I don't think he has the issues I have, but he's sober now because Mm -hmm. I don't want booze in the house. And his, his drink was, he liked a good bourbon. Yeah. You know, I had to stop you and just, and just go there for a second because that's really cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started searching and looking for it online and RK popped up and there's a video of him with his um, advertising in New York square, New York or uh, yeah, the city of New York square. Um, there's a video of him on Fox Business News. There's, you know, all this stuff out there. I was like, oh, wow. So I get to his site and I get on his contact page. And I'm like, hey, here's a story of me. I'm an alcoholic. I got sober. Um, I feel like transitioning people from addiction to sobriety. Um, THC is a, is a good way to do that. It worked for me or for my wife. It worked for a lot of people out there who are otherwise scared to talk about it. Um, 
and it looks like you have a very long list of flavors, you know, can we partner up or do something uh, where I can do this? <clears throat> and uh, it didn't take very long before I got a reply and we started just talking back and forth across email, um, WhatsApp, uh, primarily all WhatsApp, you know, because he's French and he, he travels between Mexico, the United States, France, and all across Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, well, we came to terms on that. Uh, he was going to give me a, a very low reduced cost on, on his drink. And then I was going to add the THC to it. I was going to relabel it and rebrand it and put it out to market. And I had all these sample bottles that my wife and I put together. I have pictures of this. <laughs> we had this closet under the stairs, like the smaller than Harry Potter's bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we had a table in there and that's what we were using uh, for our original um, the sample bottles and stuff that we sent out to people. <laughs> so uh, Arnold, or excuse me, not Arnold, Reynold, Reynold and his wife were going to be driving through Louisiana on their way to Florida from Mexico. They had to drive up through Mexico into Texas, and then they had something in Texas, and then they were driving through. And we were like, oh, that's perfect. You know, we're, we live right off of I-10, kind of, like a 40 minutes off of I-10. You can come meet us. And there was no hotel rooms that were open at the time uh, because half of them were shut down for COVID, and the ones that were open were stock full because the other half were closed. So I ended up getting him this Airbnb um, that was really nice out there. And you know, my wife and I and my and my kid at the time, I think my kid was, I don't know, less than 18 months old, uh, went to go meet him there. And he was very charismatic, you know, and telling all these stories. Um, and they were all borderline, you know, like, I don't know if this guy's full of shit or not. I don't know how much of this is true, but if it just, even just a small portion of it is true, then that's amazing. Um, and he said that he was also a perfumist, a uh, prof professional perfumist, and that his whole family is, I guess his dad really started the family wealth um, with uh, being a perfumist. Really? And he, yeah, and he just kind of branched off from there. And that the first perfume company that he had, he sold to Revlon. And I thought, man, you know, so you were kind of set up great there. He had this big pocket of money and was pretty relatively young, I think about 30 or something like that. So he just traveled the world doing whatever he wanted. He spent time in China. Um, he said something about in the 80s, for the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia, uh, the United States was purchasing large amounts of the perfume that he was making so they could give it for free in Russia. And somehow was something about 
you know, that was one of the things that they used to help in the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia. Huh. Yeah. So I don't know how much truth there is to that story. Interesting. Yeah. Well, he but, has intrigue. And yeah. he, he built some level of trust. He did. Uh, we went to lunch together. Um, all four and a half of us went to lunch together. Uh, we are talking about how we're going to be able to do this right. Uh, he goes, look, I need somebody in the United States um, who knows the industry and can help grow this, you know, grow my business in the United States because I can't be here all the time. Um, you know, and, uh, I brought in uh, a, another buddy of mine who owns a marketing company at marketing and advertising, uh, who's really good at what he does. He's won some awards and I forgot what they are, but there were some really shady things that went on. Reynald kept wanting to get all this work for free. Um, he wanted to know specifics on how the website gets built and SEO and how we're going to market and da da da. So my buddy, calls me up one day with just he and I, and he's like, hey, this just doesn't smell right. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, man, finally, I have somebody I can talk to about this because it doesn't smell right to me either. But we kept going on uh, a little bit. Uh, he was like, look, this guy, he's asking for me to give him everything on how I get things done. Uh, and it just kind of seems like he's trying to get that playbook and then have, you know, do it himself. Like, oh my gosh. Well, Why did I do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and before that, you know, uh, he kept saying that he was going to take his company public and he showed me this paperwork about IPO paperwork and get in now at a dollar a share. And after it IPOs, you know, it'll be, um, five dollars a share, and after we hit these milestones, it'll be ten dollars a share. Da, da, da. So he sent me all this fake paperwork and SEC paperwork to get money out of me, and it was two thousand dollars, which you know wasn't a lot, but I could have used that somewhere else. Um, yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, so the amount of effort that he put in just to swindle me and steal two thousand dollars, going to the extent of like securities fraud and wire fraud and things that will put you in prison for decades. Yeah. Uh, it's a little extravagant. So um, he kept saying that I was supposed to be getting um, equipment so I could make the drinks um, and I could put these drinks on market. He went so far as to go to Colorado Everybody knows what the cannabis market is like in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. But he took his drinks up there and he started pitching people on THC whiskey and THC vodka and stuff. So he basically sold your idea. He did. I He went so far as to oh. be so ballsy. And he didn't understand that it's a pretty tight-knit community. So it wasn't long before I had a buddy of mine up there that called me on the phone and sent me a video of Ray Maud 
pitching him and other people <gasps> on my no! product. He's like, no yeah. Way. Yeah, he's like, dude, I need to show you this video. And I was like, oh my God, that's the guy. I go, that is the guy that has told me that we're going to partner up and make these THC alcohol-free drinks. And so the, Reynolds kind of got shunned from whatever group he was dealing with up there because they realized that he was trying to backdoor me. And I guess word got around that I got backdoored by this guy. What a tool. Well, so I'll bet he's got, he's probably gotten a lot of people in one way or another. But, you know, the thing that bugs me about that is just the greed because he already had enough. And there's enough to go around for everyone. And every problem in our world today is over money and greed and power. So. It is. It, it, it's about greed and power. You know, people. Yeah, and our our uh, our constant desire. We always want, 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 want. You know, and I think that I think that that is the root of addiction. It is. is. <laughs> I mean, we can't just be. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, the more I tell this story about Reynald and RK, it seems like there's a lot more other people that come out of the woodwork and say, oh man, you know, this happened to me with him too. And this last one was in a, a former employee of his, I think it's a former employee down in Mexico. And, you know, Reynald kept it, he, he told me these stories about how him and his wife were kidnapped down in whatever city like two or three times and it turns out that that was a bullshit story um this guy said that reynald also lit uh one of his former employees cars on fire what just yeah so he fired the employee and then lit their car on fire wow okay Uh, well he is a narcissist then. Yeah, and he has um, so much inventory and stuff down there, and it it it's not being made up to spec. So, like, if you look in the bottle, some of them will be kind of frosty or, I don't know, like, it, it's not completely clear like it's supposed to be, and then you see these floaties in there. Yeah. Well, these floaties are because he's manufacturing it in a dirty manufacturing environment and you have no idea what you're drinking. Yeah, I'm good on that. I'm yeah. good on that. I, I, to be honest with you, Joseph, I haven't tried one non-alcoholic spirit. I was really wanting to get into it. I, re- I wanted to, you know, create, but I thought, why tease myself? That's like... I don't know. That's like me saying I'm going to do a little bit of crack. Right. It just, <laughs> I just, maybe, maybe in future when I'm stronger in recovery, but what do you think for newbies should, is it, I don't know. We don't do the should and shouldn'ts because like you said earlier to each his own, but I feel like for me, it's better that I just stay away from all things that might tempt me to drink because when I drink is I want to do narcotics. 
that's it seems to happen this this last drunk and when we when this airs when this interview that we're doing airs i will be one year sober from alcohol that's awesome congratulations yes and thank you thank you for that i don't know how people do it without a a community like my community started where i had a food blog and it became my recovery community like i I kept writing recipes, but in the recipes, my story kept coming through. You know, I kept trying to, I kept throwing my own personal story in there. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're not trying to sell recipes. You're not trying to push recipes. You're trying to tell your story and you're recovering through the kitchen. Yeah. And what you really want is an outlet and you want a community and you want to feel like you're part of something. And I, I, I didn't do AA because I got turned off by two things in AA. Well, three things actually. There were some kind of icky men there. There was a lot of, um, a lot of politics and and it wasn't on my side. So I was like, well, fuck you guys. (laughs) Then there was a lot of the, you know, my sponsor was like on me about the cannabis thing. And I'm like, look, man, I'm not quitting it right now. And I was, you know, and then finally I just, kept shying away from AA and she kept on, you know, what are you doing about meetings? I'm like, I'm going to my mat every day. I'm going, my meeting is on my mat. I'm doing yoga. I don't need your, I don't need your program. And I got real shitty about AA, but as I, I, approach, I, really as I approach this 12th month, I know that I need those 12 steps. Like I know that this isn't going to work in long term. I know it. So Bill and Dr. Bob went through the 12 steps sitting on the bed one night. That makes sense. <laughs> I know what our journeys are our own. Joe, right. I... what, what, are the, what are the steps, though? One, we recognize we have a problem and we can't do it ourselves. We have to reach out to God because there's a higher power. And we have to have hope. If we don't have hope and if we don't have faith that tomorrow is going to be better than today, then nobody... Nobody will get up in the morning. Nobody. Right? So we need that. And we need a, we, we need somebody to tell. And it doesn't say that you have to pick a sponsor in the book to do that. It says that you can go out and tell a stranger. It's the fact that you have to go through that yourself and have that self-actualization and that self-realization. There's a lot of things you learn about yourself as you go through here. If you don't have any emotion while you're putting everything down on paper, and you don't have any emotion when you're sitting there telling somebody, somebody you really confide in, whether it be a sponsor or a complete stranger, you're not going to get rid of any of it. And you're probably a psychopath. It's true. <laughs> and then the next part is to go through the list of people. Realize what your actions are in that list of people that you say harmed you. And I guarantee you there's going to be one person that that, that, that should be on that list that you're going to leave off because everybody does until it comes to light and somebody, you know, kind of nudges them. But then it's to go back and make amends to the people that we did harm to. And if we can't make amends to the person directly, we got to make amends in the way that we carry ourselves to human, to human beings and society in general. And then what? And then we just take a little bit of a daily inventory and we look back on what we did. We, we apologize where we need to. We make an amends where we need to. We get 
we have a better relationship with a higher power that we understand it every day. It's not a month long thing. It's not a, like however long somebody's journey is, but in short, that's what the 12 steps are. Yeah. And Bill and Dr. Bob sat there and they ran through it in one night. <laughs> and, and then I see these people in AA, they're like, oh man, I, you know, uh, my sponsor has me doing all this and all that and blah, blah, blah. It's just, I don't know, man, it, it's kind of crazy. It's about having that self-actualization and is what you're doing today make you a better person than yesterday? And if you continue doing today, what, what, if you continue doing tomorrow, what you're doing today, is it going to make you a better person tomorrow than what you are today? You're no longer drinking. It's all that. So I, I, I don't think it needs to be a very drawn out. Thing. So I can just quit beating myself up because I'm not really that into AA and I do but what I'm I do. Sick. For me, I, I love AA. I do. I, I love the people. I love the process. If it weren't that for me, then I wouldn't have gotten into sobriety. You found your people, right, through your, through your um, food blog. Yeah, it's weird how it evolved into this. Right? But we need that. Uh, we, we need a community. We need people to keep us honest. Because as much as we want to tell ourselves that we're honest with ourselves and others, we're really not. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm always going to be better than I really am. Always. Yeah, right? Always. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I do. I, I don't want to talk bad about AA or anything because I'll go back. I'll go when I find another. I did just move. I've only been living here for like a month. Um, but when we moved to Louisiana, the first thing we did was go find some AA meetings that we could go to. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm gonna go back to my women's meeting. I feel like it's it's calling to me. It, I keep thinking. I I'm gonna, not gonna lie. Every Monday around this time, I'm like, you need to go to your women's meeting today. Why don't you go over to the noon meeting? It's just women there. You know, it's a safe place for you. You know, they'll be happy to see you. Just go. And I'm like, the reason I don't want to go is because I was arrogant, and that's why I don't want to fucking go because I was arrogant when I was there. <laughs> now I have to walk in there humbled. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I really love the meetings for me where they're like men's only meetings the best meeting i had was in orlando 10 years ago maybe a little bit less but it was a men's meeting and everybody in there was in recovery and yeah it was aa based or whatever and and we recited some big book stuff and you know a lot of spiritual stuff but in all honesty, it was just a group of like-minded men where I could talk and be myself. I didn't have to worry about anything. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody in there was either older than me. So like there's men's health issues I need to think about that I never would have thought about. And there's men's mental issues that I never would have thought about. So I can only relate those things to like, that's what goes on at a women's meeting too. And I love that it's separated like that because in the meetings where everybody's combined, it's just 
I don't think that there's a lot of hardcore getting to the root of the problem, but we no. still need that. We still need that community. We still need those people. We still need to have those meetings. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. I think my other fear is that I, I'm afraid that they'll think that I want something from them or like, I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. I have to sit with it, but I know that I'm on my way back. I can feel that because it keeps coming up and uh, I don't, I don't ignore signs and, and things like that anymore. When my belly tingles and I get like butterflies, I'm like, yeah, that's something you need to do. There's, there's something going on there. That's your sign. So is there anything, I mean, any future projects that anybody out there listening should look for? Do you, you're not an advice guy. And I really like that. Like I, I get that. And I feel like sometimes people like me, we get out here on this soapbox, we have these little few thousand people that might listen, you know, so we're like, oh, I am, I'm the word, but I'm not. And I say that, you know, I'm not a guru and I'm not, not a sage and I'm not even recovered. I'm just weird. I'm just digging my way up. And um, it's thank, thank God for people like you, Joseph, who light the path for us. Yeah, I'm some path lighter, all right. Well, I mean, I appreciate your honesty. Like when you first told me about your blackouts, you know, I woke up um, in March of 2018 in a jail cell. Um, I was in a paper suit. The floor was all wet because I had put toilet paper rolls down the toilet all night and flushed it until I flooded the room. My feet were bruised on the bottom from kicking the door all night. And I came to my senses and realized I'd been, I'd been evicted from a Ron White concert. Awesome. So I'm a legend, dude, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I got thrown out of a Ron White concert. <laughs> and when funny. they brought me out of that jail cell, the entire block erupted in clapping hands like I was the hero. And I thought, what in the fuck? How foul do you have to be to have Ron White throw you out of a concert? And I still didn't wake up. I still I still didn't get sober. I still didn't get sober. That's I still awesome. didn't. No, you sound like a lot of fun though. I I mean I can be <laughs> until I'm not. <laughs> no, I mean uh, I, I definitely had my fair share of. Uh, time in jail that sounded just like that um, yeah i did a lot of so, things i mean i had a six-digit number dude i was they were ready to put me in prison at one point and yeah. i i got out of it by going to rehab but even after rehab i started shooting dope and then two years later found myself on the bathroom floor i've been in i felt like i'd been in the bathroom for 12 weeks i i felt like i had my arms were so tore up I, I can't believe I'm here. I, I can't believe I'm here sometimes. Um, yeah. Um, any other projects I have coming up? <clears throat> uh, I partnered with a gentleman who he, he, uh, he got colon and something, another type of cancer. And he's always been kind of a bigger guy. The dude stands about six foot four. Uh, 
and after he got colon cancer, uh, they started putting him on all kinds of different medication, and he also had other stuff. And this kind of ties into uh, Dope Sick and Netflix, the pharmacist as well. But with all the opiates that they were giving him, along with everything else, he finally found a doctor that said, look, you are dying of pharmaceutical toxicity. Like the amount of Oxycontin that you have pumping through your, your blood veins and everything else that they have going into you right now, and that is what's killing you. And you're going to die really quick. Um, so the doctor, and again, this is everything out of what I can remember of his story, but essentially put him in a coma for almost a month. And it's not like he was in a hospital, but he was laying in bed. And his wife is a nurse for hospice. So she knew how to take care of him. Sure. And they put him on RSO and they put him on, you know, cannabis related, whatever. And years later, here he is. He had a proven model that he did in Oklahoma where he was, it, it was, <clears throat> this was at the beginning of medical marijuana cards in Oklahoma where he would just sign them up. He got, you know, he goes, if you're, if you have cancer, uh, I'll, I'll buy your medical card for you. If you're a, if you're a military veteran, I'll buy your medical card for you. Um, but he owned a dispensary because cannabis is how he got off of all those opiates. Yeah. And, um, and so that was his mission. And now he had a proven model of getting people off of opiates using cannabis. And it was very successful in Oklahoma. And he scaled that into Missouri and it was successful in Missouri. So now we are right here in the middle of central Florida with the largest uh, population of senior citizens from 55 and older, because he is, he's 55. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um, it's called Canic Medical Group. And we give the lowest rate of medical marijuana cards uh, to get people in. And we have an entire network of doctors and nurses for a full clinic. Um, you know, it, it, it's a full clinic like any other clinic where you can come in and get prescribed this or that or get whatever services you need from doctors. Um, you know, we have like a, we have the United States premier neuropathy doctor that's on board and he will cure your neuropathy, not just treat the pain. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, I want to, that's interesting to me because my, um, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm just getting my, I'm just getting my 500 hours finished up now. And my goal is to have a little healing center somewhere. And I want to incorporate bend and blaze like the whole cannabis and yoga yeah. uh, connection I think is, is interesting it's it has its controversies too because a lot of the yogis don't want you to smoke you know 
They don't, you know, and, and that's why I, I prefer the 55 plus because these aren't people that are looking out just to get high, right? These are people with legitimate problems that are seeking a better, um, a better choice. For exactly. Their exactly. It's not about getting high. It's about therapeutics. Right, it is, and so it's not like we we also have products, right? Whether it's they're transdermal patches, and depending on what your ailments are, then we have a patch for that, or we have a cream. Like there's a the neuropathy doctor has a neuropathy cream that works magic. Um, so as long as they're coming in, it's not like they're just these aren't junkies. Well, God, I mean, how do I, I'm a fucking junkie. Okay. But, um, I'm a junkie. The, right. I'm they're, they're not seeking, they're, they're not seeking their next high is what right. I mean. They're really trying to alleviate their, their, maybe their withdrawal symptoms. Well, uh, not just their withdrawal symptoms, but just pain management in general. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that there was a pain clinic at the end of every block and all it yeah. was was an opioid pill farm yeah you're right and so now we are taking that and we have doctors on board who are like you know what cannabis is a much better natural holistic you know um way to go than feeding people oxycontin I can't believe I've run into somebody in the cannabis slash recovery community. Like this is a dream come true. I, I'm thrilled. So what would you suggest as far as your, the line of products goes like for someone who's in the early stages of alcohol recovery or uh, narcotics recovery, someone like me who's less than a year sober, what would you, what would you say put in your hands? Listen, uh, it, sell it me your depends. product, though. What's that? Sell me your product. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I can email you uh, that stuff as well. Um, but we made a name for ourselves because we have more um, untraditional items than what is currently in market. I just saw I, this morning, I just looked at. Uh, our industry's leader and it looks like they just stole a couple product ideas off of me because they saw me at a at a conference not too long ago. I see. I So you want to be a little anonymous about it. I get it. That makes sense I, to me. No, I don't want to be anonymous about it because of that. I, I, I say that because I'm still small, right? And this other company is it's the leader in industry. So I must be on sure. something if I'm getting stolen from. That's the best feeling ever, isn't it? Kind of. Uh, <laughs> the best feeling would be if I'm actually profiting off of it and I'm able yeah. to this and have a, you know, have a better life for my kid. I got it. Everything for me is about the family. And when, when, uh, when Alyssa came into my life at the very beginning, I was like, look, everything we do has to be for the unit. We're both going to make sacrifices. We're both going to hate each other at times. And we're both going to, you know, laugh and all that. I was like, but everything that we do from here on out has to be better for the unit. Because, you know, I waited a long time to have a family. I waited a long time to have a daughter. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know. 
that's what it's all about for me. So <clears throat> a lot of the things I do, I do with intention and purpose. And it's not just I'm out here slinging these THC products because I mean, I am slinging them because they're hot topic items, but I think it's a hot topic item because you can find a lot of good out of it. You can find a lot of recovery out of it. Um, I have friends of mine that have done nothing but smoke weed their entire lives and they get up in the morning and they take a hit and they are able to go out and just like conquer the world, but they don't end up in handcuffs at the end of the day where I would, you know, um, and I also can't get high and, and go work or anything like that either. I'm, I just don't have that type of personality or mentality. Yeah. Uh, so um, you, you asked what type of products. I don't know. Like one of our medical doctors who gives our medical marijuana cards out, she advises uh, people who have never had marijuana before in their life she advises that they just go out and they start a little bit low with some um, with some Delta 8 products, um, you know, which was perfect for us because that's when my wife and I were like, well, this is why we started doing those type of products. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why we were able to attract a lot of the doctors and, and nurses that we do too. So right on. Right on. I just do some of those. Um, everybody's got a gummy. Everybody's got a thing like that. Yeah. Well, it has been amazing talking to you. Um, yeah. I hope I didn't ramble too much. I hope you actually got something. I think that I think you stayed right on track. I really wanted to hear about the Ronaldo guy, the RK guy, and I wanted to, you know, touch on how people stay sober so long. You, you guys are anyone who's got you know more than a few months sober is an inspiration to me because I've never been able to do it. This is my first time I've been able to do it without being locked up. So, Well, uh, you're going to have to forgive yourself a lot and you're going to have to forgive the people around you a lot. And if you are an unforgiver, then I, I don't know what to tell you. Cause no, that doesn't that. work for me. I'm, I, I can't hold on to grudges. That's too much energy going into directions. I don't want it to go. I, Nope, I'm actually not a grudge holder, and I'm definitely a forgiver because I have needed to be forgiven so many times. <laughs> you know how how can we be how can we be non forgiving when we've needed so much grace and forgiveness offered our way? I don't. Yeah, that's definitely something I need to. Uh, I probably need to go call somebody today right now. Actually, I, make a little. Well, things. I mean. I mean, I'm still a hard ass, don't get me wrong, and I'm still probably a bit of a hypocrite in a lot of ways, I think. Um, I'm out here, you know, holding a recovery podcast without having a year sober yet. I'm not- yeah, but, I don't know, I think everybody's journey is different. Well, and the thing is, it, it's, it, it started to keep me sober. Yeah. No matter what I tell myself or what I tell anyone else, it was there for me first. And it was for me to do my thing first. And if it helps someone else, great. You know? That's the whole point of being a sponsor, right? Being a sponsor isn't about getting somebody else over. It's about using it to keep you sober. You got to give it away to keep it. Yeah, that's, that's something right. I do. I do believe in that wholeheartedly. I do believe in that. And that's what I have to offer is a voice. I have a voice. That is unafraid. And I think that if we can open ours up, then other people can do the same. 
So, so it's very important to get it out there. Um, if you see any, uh, if you see any Mardi Gras THC products out there, that's us. Did you say so, Mardi Gras? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay, connections, connections, connections. Just keep coming. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. All so right. This, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep that in mind. I'm gonna look things up and do some research on it. And um, I probably will become a customer. I um, have an attachment with the Gulf Coast and Louisiana. That's where I got clean. That's oh, where I got shit. clean from my, my dad finally put me on a plane and said, you're going to Florida with your friends and they're going to, and they took me and they just put me in a beach house and they helped me get my shit together uh, to some degree off the heroin and stuff anyway. And then I traveled over to New Orleans for the first time in my life and I fell in love and I ended up. Uh, moving over to the Marrero area. And so I fell in love with Cajun food. And when I came home in 2008 to bury my dad and take care of his affairs, I was hooked on Cajun food and jambalaya. And that is where the food blog began. <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, we lived well, in Thibodeau. All these little connections. Yeah. Love it down there. I love the people down there. They're so friendly and so warm. I have never in like I've looked, I've been all over the world. I have never in my life been anywhere in the world that had better people anywhere. What sucks is their political structure that keeps them in the situations that they are. I know. I see that too. I see that. I'm, I'm not going to get on anything politically, but we're talking about a group of people who have ten and a half percent sales tax at the grocery store on water and fruits and vegetables that otherwise don't have tax on them. You know, like I go buy milk in Florida or Iowa or, you know, any of the other 10 states I lived in and there's no tax on it, but here they're yeah, we don't have you. tax on food. <clears throat> right. You do on sugar items and stuff like that, but not on like, you know, staples. Mm -hmm. So they're getting taxed for that. Plus the amount of other high taxes that they have, they rank 50th in education. They rank 50th in car insurance. They All these things is just uh, how they can continue to take money from their constituents. It's just crazy. And their constituents are the best people in the world. Because what we just talked about, everything's run on power, greed. It is all about that. It's all about that now. And then whatever other dirty things they're doing behind our backs. And right? It is, isn't it? The reason I don't talk politics is because I'm incredibly passionate about it. And I don't want anyone in recovery to be turned <laughs> off of recovery because of my views on politics. Yeah. Uh, you feel what you're I'm right. saying? I, I do. I do. But and, I'll and tell it, you this about me. I wear red shirts on Friday. You know, every day. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope that we can, um, we'll stay in touch. And I want to tell you that your episode will air on eight, at eight o'clock on March 20th. Oh man. You got that so far out. You, you, you really have this planned out. I do. I want to be very structured this year. Last year when I started this, I kind of just threw it together and I needed to do it for my recovery. But this year I want it to be really uh, well structured and I want it to be something that people really want to come back to. I think last year it was just a lot of me venting. 
<laughs> and going through shit. And this year I want to make it a platform for other people to tell their stories because that's what it's about. Um, so yeah, 8 p.m. March 20th. The reason I'm taking this break is again because I feel a little hypocritical running a podcast recovery uh, community when I don't even have a year sober yet. I, I just really... I need that foundation. Um, I, I, I don't feel legitimate. And that's just my own shit. It doesn't have anything to do with anything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have my contact information. I uh, do. If, if you need us or want us for anything, um, we're here. Uh, you know, not just me, but my wife as well. So. Yeah. Thank you, Joseph. And I want to, I'm going to um, look at Alyssa's site more and get more. And if she's interested in doing a podcast episode, that would be awesome. And we can get more people over to her website to read and to recover. She is very interested in that. Uh, we have some cleaning up of the site to do. I don't know what happened, but uh, GoDaddy had some SSL issues with millions of sites recently yeah um so for some reason uh all of the uh what do you call it um it, it's in cursive and it's in uh written in uh, latin where on sections where it's not supposed to have anything in it yet oh good a lot of those a lot of those things started popping up, so I we need to clean those up. Yeah, I'll those are to... just there as templates for her to remove and start her own thing there, I think. Thank you. That's what it was. We, we initially removed all that stuff, and then after we had to go through and do some things to redo the SSL, then they popped back up again. So Ah, that's stinky. Yeah. That is stinky. All right. Well... Yeah. Let's keep in touch, Joseph. Thank you so much for giving me all this time. You gave me way more than I expected. And I hope that you got to share everything that you wanted to share. I think, um, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk again sometime. I think I would be happy to have you back again sometime. Absolutely. <laughs> I look forward to that. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you all for right. your time. Listen, you have a great afternoon, and I hope that 2022 brings you tons of blessings and lots of success in your business. I think it's going to. <laughs> well, uh, if we keep attracting the right people in our life, I, I think it has to. Well, you know what to do. Just do the next right thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's always the easiest thing to do. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, ma'am, for your time and, and for everything. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Joseph. Thank you for your time and thank you for your service in the military and fighting for our freedoms. And um, I don't know if your wife, Alyssa, is there or not, but thank you for, um, you know, fighting your own fight. Everyone's an inspiration to me. Awesome. It's good. Glad to hear it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a great afternoon. You too. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.